0: The Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. Hope you're all doing well. And for those public school people, had a good break this week. It was pretty enjoyable. If you go to school or work in the school, those of us with regular jobs, we still, I'm just kidding. Um, Good break, good break. I hope everybody had a good time. Um, today we're continuing on and uh, fin- actually finishing up this series on Unstoppable and um, finished up in the book of Acts. We've been talking a lot about the church and, uh, and some problems that they faced in this early church ex- uh, experience in church growth and, and all that sort of stuff. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. I want you to go there and uh, that's where we're going to finish this series up today. The uh, word that comes to mind that I want to remind you of today is a word called entitlement. Now, entitlement is a word that may bring about all kinds of different scenarios to your mind. And I think there's entitlement, those of us that we feel entitled to something. And then there's sometimes that we just um, get in a situation where we feel like, oh, this is pretty cool. I've never been here before. and. The negative one of those is those that feel entitled. And I can pretty much pick out those who are entitled just by going through a parking lot. You might have that experience or you may be the person I'm talking about. You know, the one that pulls up in the fire lane at Walmart and decides that's where God has told you to park that day. And all of us are gonna look for the very narrow parking places on our own or you park on the grass when it says no parking on grass. You feel like that you should be able to park there because you feel entitled to do that. And I don't like entitlement, but there are times when God reminds me that I feel it sometimes too. And you know, I might in my mind think, God, I can't believe that person is doing that. And then I find myself in that situation, looking around going, well, Anybody else is here, I might as well do this, you know, and, and God points that out to me from time to time and says, you know, you're just as bad as that person. But I, I had this experience from time to time, I had this experience a few weeks ago, dropping my daughter off at school and right here at Statesboro High, and I'm in the, there are two lanes that come up through right in front of the main doors up here. And these lines are supposed to be moving. You get up there, you drop off, everybody's in a hurry. And I'm sitting there behind a few vehicles and the line's not moving. I've been sitting there for like, you know, 11 seconds longer than I should have. I'm getting a little irritated and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I see these people getting in the left lane and going around and I get up there and I look and this car is empty. Someone has had the nerve to drop their kid off, get out of their car and walk inside and leave their car in the drive through lane, right? And I'm thinking, who in the world is this? And it has no great ending. It wasn't like the president or the mayor or, or my wife or anybody like that. It was, it was nobody that I knew, but I was just wondering why, who gave you permission to do this, to stop right here? That's entitlement. And we run into those things. And, and the other meaning of that is just when we feel like, man, this is really cool. Last week at homecoming for Georgia Southern, Great, great evening, and, and I'm not one that usually goes to the Georgia Southern Games, even being an alum. I just, I work with Statesboro High and their football team, and so Friday nights is about football, so Saturdays I don't really want it to be about football except on my sofa if I want to watch it. But my son, my 10-year-old son, got invited to come to the game, and he tells me early in the week, hey, can we go to the game? So-and-so invited me to the game. He invited me to come sit in their box, I don't know how many of y'all have ever been to a box. And I'm determined that boxes anywhere are just cool. They have to be, right? So if I ever make enough money to get a box, I don't care where I buy it. It doesn't matter what team it's for. I just wanna sit in the box to watch the game. So I texted the the father of this kid, um, just I didn't wanna be too presumptuous about it. And I texted um, trying to be humble and said, uh, Jordan said that your son invited him to sit in his box. Um, do you want me to just take him up there and and drop him off at the box, and and then he can just stay with y'all? He says, No, man, you come on. All of y'all come on. I was like, Okay, uh, I guess we will. So we we get there, and it, it's me and uh, and my one of my daughters and my son, just the three of us. We get up there, and there's a security guard standing at the door, you know, and. And I'm thinking, oh boy, how, how's this going to work? I don't have any credentials whatsoever, I just got a ticket to the game. So I go up to her and I, she said, can I help you? I said, yeah, um, so-and-so invited us into the box uh, to sit with them tonight. And she goes, well, I don't, I don't have a, a list, a guest list yet because they're not here. I said, okay. Um, I said, well, we, I, we're fine just to stand out here in the hot sun and, uh, and wait if, that, if that's okay. And, and she goes, well, um, well, y'all just go on in? So we go into this box and no one is there, right? But it's all set up. There's food trays everywhere. There's beverage everywhere. There's this comfortable sofa, these cushioned seats. And we're standing there and my daughter, she's like, I don't know, this is kind of awkward. I don't know if we should be in here. I was like, oh, enjoy yourself. Let's just relax. You know, just kind of hang out for a minute. So I discovered that there are four different families who own this box together three of which i know guess which family was first to arrive yeah the family i had no idea who with it who they were so this lady walks in and and she has this look on her face and, and i was reading her mind uh, because of my ESPN. And I was looking into her mind and she, in her mind, it was like, why are, are you in our box? And who are you? And so I dropped, uh, you know, several names, every, you know, and you know, Dr. Kiel, all of them, everybody was just like, uh, I know everybody and they invited me here and they finally got okay and we enjoyed this time. And it was so awesome to sit there and look at the people out there that were fanning themselves. Remember how hot it was last week if you were there? And it was like, you know, a, a muggy 72 in this box. And, and it was um, just it's glasses right there and like right on the other side of these hot people. And I was like, man, this is kind of cool. So I'd open the glass and let a little air go out and, you know, shut it back real quick. And uh, no, I didn't do that. But, um, but I felt entitled. I felt like, man, this is kind of out of my element. And I'd see these people going by because like it's all glass. So they build it in order for people when they're walking by going, God, I wish I were you. And, and that's, I think that's the philosophy of the box, you know, to keep it all glass where people are just, just out of reach, just, I mean, there's one door away from being cool and having free food and drink. So that's the way I felt entitled. And that's kind of what this story does and what we feel like even in church sometimes. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about a couple of different ways that Satan was trying to get the church off track. And we talked about persecution and we talked about corruption in the church. And now we look at this third ploy that Satan uses. And the word is distraction. And that's what Satan was doing. He wanted to distract the church. And he does this by getting the apostles to look at administrative duties or things that needed to be done within the church so they would neglect their calling of prayer and preaching. And that's where we pick up here. This phenomenal church growth is going on. Thousands had come to know Christ for the first time, thousands, 3,001 service had come to know Christ. So they were growing exponentially. And with that growth brought about this need to administrate, things were falling through the cracks. So look with me at Acts chapter six, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read through this and and then use this scripture to go back and look at some specific things. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for absolutely gorgeous weather that we can enjoy over the last couple of days, and we pray, God, that you Use this scripture to permeate our hearts, plunder around in our lives and our souls. God, to show us things, reflect things to us that are real and need to be changed. Uh, Give us encouragement, God, where we need encouragement today. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you've been involved in traditional church over the years, you've probably heard this text taught at least once a year. I know in being involved in traditional churches, I heard it at least once a year, and it's really always around deacon ordination, the deacon ordination night. And I always remember growing up in church, I was always excited about this night because there probably wouldn't be a long message. You know, I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to hear the preacher tonight. But we have to wait on all these dudes to walk down and lay their nasty hands on some dude's head and whisper something in his ear. I never really understood that until it happened to me. And it was really an awesome experience of setting apart for ministry and all that. But that's what this text is used for a lot of times in deacon ordination or ordination for the ministry and all those types of things. And there's a lot of debate whether that is even a a true thing or not, whether this was a text about deacons or not. That's not important, not important at all, but that's the way it is used traditionally over time. Well, Satan hates the fact that churches grow that are successful and he's doing an awesome job of keeping churches stagnant. And I think one of the most effective ways he does that is to bring about distraction. And he doesn't bring about distraction from the outside because we can see things that affect us from the outside, um, whatever it is, the media and and all kinds of stuff that comes against churches and we can stand up against it and we can preach against it and we can yell back and pray about it and do all those things. But what Satan does to distract the church most effectively, he does it from within. He goes from the inside and he uses us. He uses us who are part of the church in order to distract us. So let's look at some ways to stay focused on what God, what God has called us to do as a church to stay focused. And I'm going to use four different points here. So if you're taking notes please do so and, and keep up with that. And I'll try my best to keep you going through your notes so you don't have any empty spots or, or blanks and can't sleep tonight because there's one missing, you know, and you just roll over in your bed and you're like, oh, I got to get that answer. I got to watch it on YouTube or whatever. It's something, I got to see that point. So I'll try my best to keep you going. So number one, staying focused demands understanding. Staying focused demands understanding. And all four points are going to start with staying focused. So you can actually put that right above Roman number one, dot dot dot, and then fill in the blank. See I'm helping you out. Help a brother out. Verse one. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So I'm going to do a little history lesson here and and tell you about what was going on in Jewish society of that day. The widows were particularly needy and, and dependent on what became the church. And both in the Old Testament and the New Testament singled them out along with orphans as, as most in need of charitable help. And that's not really changed over time. We still do that as communities and as governments. We do that as the church, not so much anymore, not in an organized fashion. But this dissension was the result of natural divisions within the church. At Pentecost, thousands of Aramaic-speaking Jews, those born in Palestine, plus hundreds of Greek-speaking Jews born outside of Palestine, known as Hellenists, became one in Christ. What I want you to hear here is conversion does not erase all of our prejudices. That might be a surprise to you, but it doesn't. When we become one in Christ and we become a church and we grow as a church, prejudices do not go away. And they were the same thing in this day. The prejudices were still there. And this this grumbling began to happen. The Greek-speaking widows soon felt as if they were being shorted in the daily division of food. There was this um, supplemental thing that happened where the church was giving away food and helping out the widows. And the widows felt like, you know what? We're not getting enough to eat. We feel like those people are getting more than we are. The the dissension happened because it's easy for things to fall through the cracks of a growing church. Growing churches um, have this problem even today. We have this problem even here. Even when the church is spirit filled and really loves each other, it can still happen. The success of the church was actually the source of the problem in the church. Church was experiencing growing pains and that was making it difficult for the apostles to minister and minister to everybody. You know, as any church gets larger, um, things cannot be handled spontaneously or informally any longer. When a church is small, you know, jobs can be handled as they come up, no big deal. We can handle that. Little or no structure. Church growth consequently requires constant evaluation and change in the way things are done. As executive pastor, I I get to do this on a weekly basis. As I say, get to, wanna make that positive. But every week from Sunday to Sunday, there's something that comes up that we have to address. And usually it's about growth. It's about moving people. It's about keeping people in the right place. It's getting you from one place to another. It's about having enough people in our kids areas, having people in stations and different things going on. It's a logistical nightmare at times. But we meet weekly to go through these things because we do have growing pains. Because of growth, we have to deal with them. The complaint concerned the welfare of the widows though. In this case, there seems to be a real problem but it's not always so when complaining begins. You see the word translated complaint here is an unpleasant word. Using the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the murmuring that the Jews had against Moses in the wilderness. So the Israelites are wandering around with Moses. He's leading them as best he can with what God has given him, fire by night, a cloud by day. God has given them just enough food with the manna from heaven. They're experiencing all these miracles, but no matter what God gave to them and whatever growth he showed for them in their faith, they still murmured. They murmured, they complained. You know, the scripture says when two or more are gathered in his name, God's gonna show up. And we use that for prayer. My take on that is when two or more are gathered, somebody's gonna complain, right? That's my translation. It comes from... Indecisive 2-3. So, that's a book. You'll never find it in your Bible. I'll show you where it is. But regardless, murmuring is always wrong. It's always wrong. These Greek-speaking Christians began to complain, but they did not complain to those in authority, those responsible. They simply complained among themselves. When you complain to other people who are perhaps involved, but who are not in a position to do anything, that is murmuring. You're just murmuring, you're just complaining about something that's not going your way. I wonder how many churches have been destroyed by a spirit of murmuring. Now I know that none of us do that in here, so we're talking about other churches today, right? Because none of us complain about things, everything's so wonderful in so many ways, even in our homes and our businesses, it's wonderful. So we'll just take that for what it is today. But God may be working in marvelous ways. Souls are being saved. People are going from death to life. And then you realize, you know what? I don't feel really appreciated today. I think I'm going to murmur. I think I'm going to complain about something today. And that's how it begins. You know, we have people who who may be moving our community or, or they decide to start coming to Connection Church. And we like to ask them, you know, what church were you in before if they attended another church? Oh, we, we were at this church and, um, you know, we liked it okay, but people were just, they grumbled all the time and there was so much negativity and it just stopped growing all of a sudden and, and we just felt like we needed to get out of there because it was so negative. And then we have folks who, who may move in and we ask them, How, what was your church experience like from like where you were? Oh gosh, I, I just hope Connection churches is, is half of what we had where we were. It was such a wonderful place. It was such a positive experience. We loved serving there. The pastor taught from the scripture and, and, and the gospel was heard every week and people were coming, going from death to life and they're so positive about it. What I always find funny is that the folks who tell me about how negative their church was seem to have the same experience at our church. And I think about, I wonder what the problem is. You're the problem. You brought the negativity in with you. You're the one that's complaining. If I ask somebody about your church, they'd probably complain about you because you were the one doing it. But the person who brings about this positive experience that they had brings that with them and has a spirit of positivity and, and finds that within this church. Number two, staying focused requires assertiveness. Staying focused requires assertiveness. Verses two and three. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So what procedure would the apostles use to deal with the problem? They had options what would they do? There are several possible ways they could have dealt with the problem. One of those is they could have ignored it. They could have just flat out ignored the problem. Every week, as I said before, we deal with issues. We deal with things every single week. We have trailers that we have to move at 5.30 on Sunday mornings up to the doors in order for them to be unloaded and set up the kids area, the worship center, uh, both kids areas, and those have to be unloaded every week. And then they have to be reloaded and they have to be moved back out of the way. We have, I don't know how much stuff we got. Anybody heard of a pod before? You've probably seen one in your neighbor's yard, right? You're like, when are they gonna get rid of that pod? So ugly sitting over there, remodeling, doing whatever. They come and they, it's like the coolest thing. Go online, type in your address, I need a pod. Like it shows up, drops right into your driveway, you know? It says there as long as you want it there, as long as you keep paying the bill. I don't know what would happen if you didn't pay the bill. Would they come get it with it full? That'd be kind of bad. Oh, where's my stuff? But anyway, um, we have a pod that we rented that's behind the school to put stuff in every single week. And these are, these are growing pains. These are things that we've had to overcome because we rent a facility. We rent office space. Things are always coming up that we have to deal with because of this mobility. But what if we just ignored it? You know? Let's, I don't really want to set this stuff up let's just leave it here. Let's just ignore the problem. Let's leave it here. Maybe Statesboro High won't mind. Maybe it won't be in the way. We get that Monday morning call. Um, is anybody gonna move this trailer? It's kind of in the way. It's in the bus lane. We kind of need to get it out of the way. It's right behind the lady who went inside to check on her kid in the drive through lane. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, that could happen. If we ignored the problem, that's what would happen. The second thing that they could have done is they could have resented it. They could have resented the the question, the criticism, and that's a common one, right? I know I get that way sometimes. It's just this overreaction of just, you know what? I resent you even asking that. Music's too loud. Turn it up a little bit more, you know? Just resent it. I'm just going to resent it and just fire back at them. The third thing is they could have completely overreacted. Completely overreacted to the problem. Somebody says, "Turn you know, music's too loud. Well, we better turn it down. We don't want to make anybody mad. It's too cold in there. Ooh, let's go ahead and adjust the thermostat for you, right? Could overreact and affect thousands for the one who murmurs. But what they did was the fourth thing, and that is face the problem. They faced the problem. They could have ignored it. They could have resented it. They could have overreacted to it, but they faced it. And every problem that arises in the church gives us the opportunity to do three different things. One is to show our effectiveness. Show our effectiveness as a church, as a body of believers who's working together for one goal, to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. That's what we want to do day after day after day. The second thing is to show our faithfulness in God, to show our faithfulness that hadn't come up in the last few months, has it? Building a building, that hasn't shown any faith whatsoever, right? Four and a half million dollars. Oh, you want me to write you a check? <laughs> no, it took a lot of faith just to step out there and do that. There's not a day that goes by where Brandon and I don't talk or something comes up about thinking about, oh, oh, you know, you're kind of getting that feeling about, oh, the roof's going on, we're really doing this. Or when they first like broke ground and poured concrete, I think we're in it to win it. You know, can't undo that. Uh, my gosh, you pay that first bill that comes in from the contractor. You're like, Good gosh, they're going to do this every month? They're going to want money every month? Can they just like wait till the end? And if we have it, we'll pay it. That would be so much better. But it doesn't work that way. So we get to show our faith. And the third thing is we show our love in the way we work out the problem. If you come with a problem or or others come to us with problems, the worst thing we could do is to just go, you know what, you're an idiot. I don't really think that that's a problem. I don't believe you, so just see ya. No, it's not showing our love. It's taking them and walking alongside them, walking alongside you if you do have a complaint, if you do have something that's legitimate that we can help you with and help walk through with you. The third way we need to stay focused, staying focused requires delegation. Staying focused requires delegation. Look at verse four and five. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen and the other guys because I can't pronounce them twice and get it right. You'll murmur about it if I get it wrong. So those guys, a convert to Judaism, the last one. So the apostles had already declared in verse two, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And now they say, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now it's very easy to look at this verse and to think, you know, we're too good to serve tables. I'm the preacher, I need to preach. Help me find a few losers out there to wait on some tables for me so I can keep preaching and teaching because it's so important. You missed the point. That's not what it's saying at all. Neither ministry is superior to the other. Both are Christian ministries, ways of serving God and His people, and both require spiritual people to do them. We all do a great disservice when we refer to the pastorate as the ministry. The pastorate is a ministry. There are so many ministries that God has in store for each one of us. And we're all called to a ministry of some sort. I can remember in 13 years of youth ministry, it happened so often. So when you are going to be a preacher? In other words, you're not really a real minister yet. You're kind of growing up into it because you're just a youth minister. I wanted to say, well, you're not a real banker. You're not a real dad that would be my murmuring coming up just to give you a good example of it but it offended me because all christians are called to serve but i think in church history especially in the west we have done such a disservice of putting so much on the pastor he'll do it he's got it staff will get it they got it see you next sunday this morning during our prayer time God spoke to me with this definition of serving the definition that I heard from him was it's an interruption of my own priorities serving is an interruption of my own priorities and don't write that as an interruption of his priorities in your notes it's an interruption of your priorities that's what serving is God calls us to do things when we least expect them when I get so focused on my day-to-day tasks that are still pleasing to God, but they're my priorities. God wants to be the priorities. He wants you to see everything filtered through his eyes. So you see things that you may not normally see. You have opportunities that you may not normally take. The apostles are convinced that their primary calling was to proclaim the word of God with its related requirement of prayer. Instead of trying to attach blame to anyone, they delegate responsibility. In verse three, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. There's no hint that the apostles regarded this work as inferior or beneath their dignity. It's entirely a question of calling. I want to pause to say something real quick that we have an awesome pastor. We agree with that. Brandon Williams is an awesome pastor. Absolutely. And the reason I say that is I've watched him through the years as he, um, he felt the calling of God to start this church with seven people with his last name who came together and uh, believed in him and wanted him to eat and feed his family and, and started this that's not an easy task. It's not an easy step to take. And, and, and if you don't know Brandon personally, his heart is that everybody gets it. He wants everybody to get it. He wants everybody to have that aha moment of, oh, that's what it means for me. That's what God is saying to me. And he wants that so passionately that sometimes that can be overwhelming. But when it was seven, when it was 14, when it was 25, when it was 100, That was doable. It was very doable for him to reach out and have those meetings and sit with everybody that wanted to sit with him. But that's not very doable today if you look around, right? Not enough hours in the day, not enough days in the week for each one of us to have a meeting with the pastor. So just as it happened here, his vision to begin this and and to do what he has done here and what God has done through him is to disseminate and to delegate what needed to be done. Because it's always about smaller groups. Jesus showed us that. He worked with the 12, but he was close to two or three. And that's the format that we use today. When we think of their recommendation, we're reminded of a Old Testament incident. Look with with me, it's gonna be on the screen, Exodus chapter 18. Great story that uh, was really the first time people were sort of set apart. Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people go home satisfied. What a great picture, what a great picture. We cannot expect Brandon Williams to do all the work. We cannot expect the staff to do all the work. But hear me, it's not about that. It's not about holes to be filled. It's about God working in your life. It's about God calling you out to do what God's called you to do. It has nothing to do with Connection Church. You're just hearing the truth about it. They selected those who were full of spirit and wisdom. Do you know who these people are? They're you. They're the volunteers. They're the parking lot greeters. They're the greeters at our doors. They're the people that work in the kids area. God bless their soul. They are you, the ones that God called out. The interesting thing is, in spite of what seems to be the case in some churches, they were elected to settle a quarrel, not start one. You hear me? They were elected to settle a quarrel, not start one. When God calls us to serve, and he does that the day we accept him as Lord. Not one day down the road. Well, I'll get to it. Maybe I can serve one day when I finish this up. When we say that he is Lord of our lives, there is no way that we can get closer to Jesus and not want to serve him. It's a spiritual impossibility. It cannot happen. When we get in the proximity of Jesus, we are going to be changed and we're gonna have a desire to serve. And we're gonna have a desire to serve in the way he wants us to serve. The fourth and final thing is that staying focused results in growth. Staying focused results in growth. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The first result of handling this problem was that unity was restored among the people. According to verse 5, the proposal made by the apostles pleased the whole group because the people were once again on the same page, they were working together in purpose. The result was that each individual was being utilized for what God had called them to do. What's cool about this is being unified is not being in agreement. It's not agreeing on everything, it's agreeing on one thing. And that is what our goal and our purpose is. And that is to teach the gospel to share the word of God with people. That's our one goal if we're working towards that. You know, we always do these sports analogies, especially uh, me and Brandon, we kind of compete on who can do the best one. And um, I'm gonna give in and not do one today. So he wins for this week. But um, a few weeks ago, I had the amazing opportunity and honor of going on a date with my daughter, my oldest daughter. And this Date had been planned for, for months because it was a gift for her birthday back in April. And the, the gift was, and what we had to wait on, was the actual One Direction concert to be here. <laughs> See, just like in the nine o'clock service, I'm a little disappointed because when the name One Direction was mentioned there, 70,000 girls screamed at the top of their lungs didn't happen here as much. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Got some some one deers out there. I'm now one. But in planning this, I kind of had fun fun with my daughter and, and told her I had I had ordered a, a medium v-neck shirt that had um <laughs> that had um Nile on it. I think one of our worship leaders was wearing it this morning. But anyway, I was gonna wear that and I, I had some skinny jeans on order, but the more I envisioned myself in, in Cody's jeans, the more I thought, um, a little throw up in my mouth came up and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna do this. I can't, can't do this to, to everyone there. And um, so I didn't, but we went, we went on this and I was so, um, I, I, I don't go to concerts very much. The last two concerts I went to were two Almond Brothers concerts that you don't have to buy your own pot at. I might, you know, Holy cow, I've never seen older people smoke weed. It was, it was weird anyway. So we get there and this is at the Georgia Dome. There was no weed at the One Direction concert that I saw. You know, an eight year old little girl, that would have been really, really weird. But um, there were about a hundred other dads there out of the 70,000 uh, people. And we would give the nod as we go by and see each other. And that meant you two? Yeah, me too. And. Um, you, you know, you're an awesome dad. Yes, I am, you too, that sort of thing. Other weird things happen at that concert, like, you know, when you go to the restroom and minding your own business and doing your own business and a group of girls decides to come in because theirs is so full, you know, that's an awkward moment um, that usually results in a rest, but I guess it's okay at a One Direction concert. So I wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. And, sitting there and, and waiting on it to start this, this this guy comes and sits down behind us and um he was so excited about the concert and um and kind of giddy you know and, and really excited and and he was 30 years old probably which was awkward and weird all at the same time and he knew every word of every song um and had a nice voice um will probably leave worship in a couple of weeks for us if i can find him but um that was impressive but what was re- really stood out to me a lot was how everybody was focused on one thing. And that was getting, you know, not a play on words, but One Direction, right? You can catch that little pun there. They were going in one direction. And that was focused on them coming out and, and having this concert. And it was really, really cool. But what I did notice that all these girls um, and and the guy behind us were... were diverse in their own ways because they wanted to be noticed because in their minds they thought that when um Niall came on the screen he was actually singing to them the girl behind me was crying during a song I mean visibly shaking like I thought is she okay do I need to you know and I just turned around one time and watched the crowd it was much more entertaining (laughs) but blown away by this unity that was going on there and thought, man, what would happen? What would happen if one, we had the excitement of that concert, if we had our focus and and our One Direction was in the direction of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if anybody else can bring One Direction into a sermon like this, they're awesome. Pretty proud of this moment right now. I'm just gonna enjoy it. (laughs) But listen, listen. Connection Church does not need you. Hear me now. Connection Church does not need you. God wants you. God wants you in a place of service. It's not what we need. It's what God wants for you. What he wants for you. We don't need positions filled here. We want something for you, not something from you. You hear it all the time, and we preach it over and over and over because we mean it and we believe it. We'll do without before we will make you feel guilty about serving God. You're not gonna hear it from this platform because we want something for you. If we guilted you into serving, you would last a couple of weeks and be done. But if you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and he changes your life, you won't be able to help serving. You will look for those opportunities. God wants to be the interruption in your priorities. He wants to be your priorities. You serving God is much bigger than an hour and a half on Sunday, so much bigger. It's about sharing the gospel to a classmate. It's about taking a colleague's, uh, taking time and work and listening to a colleague share about troubles at home with their family or their kids and you being able to listen to them. It's about picking up that piece of trash instead of stepping over it. It's about paying for somebody else's lunch besides your own. It's about not trying to get to the front of the line, but making sure someone else gets to the front of the line. It's time for each of us to get over our entitlement issues and do what God's called us to do. The text says then, that's when there was a restored sense of unity and involvement by everyone in the ministry. Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. The two words spread and multiplied, they were in the imperfect tense, which means it was continuous. It continued to spread and to multiply. A common story that some of you probably remember from the book of Luke, same author here. He tells of a story when Jesus is comes down to the beach and the crowds are gathering around, around him to teach. And it's so crowded, they get up on the edge of the beach and he tells Peter, let me get in your boat. I'm gonna get in your boat with you. Why don't you push out a little bit from the shore so we can give them more room. He needed to make room. And then after he finishes teaching, Peter's been fishing all night he was the professional fisherman he knew what he was doing he's like i got this and jesus has the nerve to look at peter and go why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat he's like just a preacher stop meddling in my business i got this i'm the fisherman here i got it and he throws this little complaint out but then he must have heard something differently Because what he says to Jesus is so powerful. He says, because you say so, I will. Simple little words. Because you say so, I will. I'll do that. As you know, the rest of the story throws the nets out. They fill up two boats and they both begin to sink. I think Jesus knew what he was doing and he knows what he's doing in your life as well. And I want you to be able to say that today, because you say so, I will, because God's calling each one of us. And at nine o'clock, we had someone go from death to life and, and accept Christ for the first time, which is an awesome, awesome thing. And I wanna give you that opportunity today. In a room this size, there's no doubt that God is speaking to someone who needs to take that next step and say, you know what, I wanna follow you. I wanna follow you and I want to be able to face these things that I need to face. I need to take my next step and come into relationship with you, God. And we want you to have that opportunity. If you've been here for more than one week, you know how we do it. We don't close our eyes and raise our hands about halfway up because we're scared. We do it boldly because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. And I believe that scripture. I believe it wholeheartedly. But it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. We sang two songs a while ago. You make me brave and stand. And God's calling you right now that he says, I'll make you brave. And this moment, at this time, no mistake that you're in here, no mistake. But if you wanna make that decision this morning for the first time saying, you know what? I wanna follow you, God because you say so, I will. Stand to your feet right where you are. Stand up right where you are. Be bold. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Go ahead, stand up. Anyone else? God's calling you this morning. You feel it. Make me brave. Stand. Maybe this morning is the time for you to really seal something up. Maybe God has been speaking to you for week after week after week. And it may be specifically to Connection Church. God has you've seen these shirts and you're like, I want one of those shirts. It'd be cool to have one of them shirts. We'll give you one of those shirts. If your next step is to serve in that area not by choice, but by what God has laid on your heart. You know God wants you to do something. We already defined that for you. It's not if God has called you to serve, it's where has God called you to serve? He's called all of us to serve because now we know that all of us are saved because nobody stood up, right? So everybody in here knows Christ. We're making that assumption. So he wants you in an area of service. So what I want you to do right now is if God has laid that on your heart and your next step is to find that place of service or you just wanna have prayer about that. I wanna pray for you. I want you to stand up. Stand right where you are. I'm not gonna haul you out to a back door, thank you. Stand up. You know God has called you to take a next step. I wanna pray with you, right where you are. Keep standing, keep standing. All over the place, keep standing. One of the things you may wanna do when this is over, if you're standing, our next step table is out in the back. And maybe it's specific, you wanna do something here at Connection Church, or maybe this may not be where you're called to be. Find a church where you can serve a water-walking, grave-busting son of God. We wanna help you do that. Or maybe you need to come forward and pray about it. is always open at the end of our services. God, we thank you and we love you. God, I pray for each individual who's standing in here and those who, who just may not have that courage or, or feel the need to stand up today, but we all need another step. We all have a next step to take. God, I pray that each person in here walks away with a, a renewed spirit and a renewed hope. And God, we know that you don't promise us clarity because that would make it easy but you do ask us to trust you. And God, I pray that we will trust you and what we are here in our hearts. And if we don't know if it's your voice, that we will reach out to those around us that we respect and know has a relationship with you to ask those questions. God, we thank you. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray.